On the phone with me is Brandon Reek of TigerNet. He can talk football or football, but today we're going to talk football. Brandon, Clemson, 24, Texas A&M, 10. I like to think of it as a stranglehold, a smothering. What was your takeaway from the Tigers' victory last Saturday in Death Valley? You know, it wasn't a perfect effort, but you wouldn't expect that in week two. Uh, it was reminding me a lot early of the uh, the Clemson-Auburn game from 2017. A lot of talent on both sides. Defense kind of looking a little better than offense. But uh, a lot of credit goes to Brent Venables. Uh, his his plan, the formations, the substitutions they were using. Uh, you know, it was just it was a different look than he had shown in week one. They'd been very vanilla against Georgia Tech because they really didn't have to show much against Georgia Tech. Uh, and, you know, another thing that stood out, especially early, is A&M really shot itself in the foot. Uh, they had a more than a half dozen drops, missed throws. They had a personal foul on defense towards the end of the first half that kind of really helped it go from being a one-score game to a two-score game. And that really changed things up. But Clemson felt like it was really in control by halftime when they, when they were able to get up two scores. Uh, you know, we talked about it in preseason on the podcast – uh, one of the Twitter questions uh, was about the secondary and allowing big plays. And, you know, would that change? And this is a game I was wondering about that. And they gave up 10 passes of 20 or more yards in last year's game. And in this one, they didn't give up a single pass of over 20 yards. So, you know, that that's a big credit to A.J. Terrell, big credit to Darren Kendrick, and really a big credit to the safeties. You know, Nolan Turner made a lot of plays, forced a fumble, a couple pass breakups. Uh, Kayvon Wallace had nine tackles in a sack. Tanner Muse picked off a pass for a second straight game, had a couple of nice tackles. Isaiah Simmons kind of moonlighted in the in the uh, secondary for a little bit. He was back there, and uh, he was all over the place making some plays. So it was a big game for the safeties. And uh, another area of intrigue to me was the, the passing game in Travis Etienne. He topped 100 yards from scrimmage for the first time without a 100-yard rushing game in his career. Uh, 52 receiving yards, career best. Clemson made it a priority to give him the ball, and as they should. I mean, he's he's one of the most dynamic players in college football. So they got the ball in his hands. He made plays. He made the chains. And, you know, staying in the receiver game, man, Clemson is definitely wide receiver you. Maybe more at this point now than any point was. You know, because Trevor wasn't at his best, maybe touch-wise on some of his, his downfield passes, but those receivers help him out. And, you know, you got even Frank Ladson had a really almost a, a great near touchdown catch, uh, splitting a couple of DBs in coverage downfield, had a really good play. Uh, Joe Ngati, you got Justin Ross, T. Higgins, and now Amari Rogers back. You know, just the depth there is just incredible. You know, it's funny you mentioned Clemson as wide receiver you because first podcast I heard after Saturday was talking about the best wide receiving crew in the nation, and that's at LSU. They had three with 120 yards at Texas. I was like, wow, Clemson has been doing this for years and year after year after year, turning these guys out. LSU has one good game, and they are now wide receiver you. So maybe Dabo can use that in his uh, pregame motivation this week. The things that stood out to me were – you know, before the game, I had a lot of confidence in the coaches and in their preparation for A&M. A&M did a lot of talking, um, but I was quietly confident. Now, 17 points or 18 or whatever it was, that was a lot of points, and I didn't think Clemson would necessarily cover. 
but I had a lot of confidence in the coaches, specifically Brent Venables, who is, you know, whatever you want to call him, he's a wizard, he's a genius, he's just simply the best defensive coordinator in the nation. I wouldn't take anybody over him. You know, that said, I sat down and actually looked at Texas A&M's first game against Texas State before last weekend's game, and here's the thing. Nobody stood out to me. Even with the vanilla game plan, much like Clemson had against Georgia Tech, obviously I'm a homer, but, you know, I see T. Higgins and Justin Ross and Travis Etienne. Within that vanilla game plan, they still had big days, or at least um, Higgins and Etienne did. But I watched Texas A&M and nothing, nothing. I mean, four of their five scoring drives started in Texas State territory. And everybody keeps talking about Texas State like it's Texas. These guys won three games last year over Texas Southern, New Mexico State, and I don't even remember the third team. Oh, it was the Georgia State that beat Tennessee. They lost 45-7 to to Rutgers, who went 1-11. And everybody's acting like Texas State beat somebody. I, excuse me, Texas A&M beat somebody. Texas A&M just didn't have the, the players, the game players. Now, I know they, they missed some, some throws and they missed some catches, and I know they're better than they showed against Clemson on Saturday. But man for man, they don't have the talent that Clemson had. Raise your hand if you thought after two games Trevor Lawrence would have two touchdowns and three interceptions after week two. I want to see the person. <laughs> it's incredible. But I'm here to tell you it's going to be okay. You know, he may have five touchdowns this week. He'll get back on track. Um, not quite sure what's going on with the interceptions in particular, but uh, we'll see. I think the touchdown passes are just the way the way he's being played, the way the team's being played. Go ahead. Keep taking him away. And Travis Etienne will end up the all-time Clemson leading rusher. Overall, I thought it, it was a really fun game to watch. It was not close enough to be worry, worrisome. It wasn't a blowout like we'll probably see in seven of the next eight games or so, or maybe uh, nine of the next ten. So it was fun. I was engaged. I wasn't going, you know, it's 35 to 7 in the second quarter. So I, I really, really enjoyed Saturday. I know some folks wanted a blowout, but, hey, uh, I'll take the 24 to 10. I think Dabo will, too, because – I think he's going to use all the oh they only beat Texas A&M twenty-four to ten to his advantage at some point during the season. The master manipulator, not a manipulator, the master tactician in the mind is Dabo Sweeney. All right, it, well that's, that's I'm, I'm sure I'm sure the highlight reel has already been put together. It, it'll be played in tomorrow's you know uh, pre-practice uh, meeting. No doubt they'll start off with five ball. Uh, or whoever, you know, there was, I heard of, that's a good, that's a good um, segue. I heard a variety of, of takes on the game. I heard only 24 to 10, didn't look good. I've heard other people said they just strangled Texas A&M and couldn't do anything. You know, I heard all kinds of ranges. So it's, it's really interesting what different people take out of a 24 to 10 game. It's really interesting. Let's take a tour around the ACC. I'll start off here. I want to talk about Florida State. Willie Taggart, I don't think – if this keeps up, do you think he's going to make it to the end of the season? <laughs> uh, they don't, I don't think Florida State has enough money to buy him out, so uh, we'll see. <laughs> uh, you know, a 45-44 victory over uh, Louisiana Monroe because of a missed extra point. Now, who knows? Florida State may have won even if he made that extra point, but that's just incredible. 
You know, also, we'll stay in the state of Florida. I didn't say this on the preseason podcast. I had it on here, and I took it off. I'm not sure why, but I did put it on Twitter. Manny Diaz. Years and years ago, probably before you were born, Brandon, I was always excited about Ken Hatfield coming to Clemson because, man, that guy was a good coach. A friend of mine quietly said, he's going to run your program into the ground. And sure enough, that's what happened. But I feel the same way about Manny Diaz. I don't know how this guy keeps getting jobs. I, you know, I mean, when he came to Texas, he replaced Will Muschamp, who was the top defensive coordinator in the nation at the time, and somebody I wanted to be Clemson's head coach. Don't don't let that get public. But, uh, <laughs> um, Manny Diaz took over for the best defensive coordinator in the in the nation, and I said to my Texas friends at the time, something doesn't fit. This guy had a year at Middle Tennessee and a year at uh, Mississippi State. And how am I getting, you know, how Will Muschamp has been at Texas and LSU and, you know, played at Georgia. What something doesn't fit. And sure enough, about two and a half years in or so, Matt Candy. So um, I, it may not be this year. They may end up 10 and two for all I know. It may not be next year, but give it five years and Manny Diaz will, will find a way to, uh, take that uh, a good situation and, and turn it into a, a bad one. And if I don't see the turnover chain ever again, it's, it's too soon. <laughs> and and the, t- the TD rings too, you know, you can't, you can't leave out the TD rings. We just didn't see enough of them last week. So didn't see many of them. That's for sure. What's your take on the ACC this week? You, you know, I'm not sure, you know, it's, it's so early, you know, we're, we're in week two. I'm not sure how much we know about the ACC, except that Florida state, looks terrible and you know that's I think it's a surprise that they haven't shown any improvement and they look like they may even be worse I mean it's that I think that may be the surprise of the ACC season so far um you know I'm not sure what the answers are there uh with Miami I I, I think it's still early uh I, you know we'll see how good Florida and UNC end up being uh you know they have a couple of, of uh, non-conference games where they can kind of get better they have actually they have five home games in a row coming up and then they have three coastal division games in a row at home, uh, and including Virginia. And that may be the one that's like, if Miami is able to write the ship this year, they're going to have to beat Virginia. Because Virginia is quietly, you know, they went and grabbed an ACC road win at Pitt. Uh, they didn't stumble at all last week versus a team that beat them not all that long ago with William & Mary back in the, uh, I think, the Mike London days. Uh, you, know, they, you know, they have a chance to make a, a statement this week hosting Florida State. Yeah, obviously Florida State's, you know, not it's just more brand name maybe more than anything. If Virginia goes and beats them by a couple of touchdowns, you know, people are like, hey, you know, maybe Virginia is that team. And if Virginia is, that's a different winner seven years in a row in the coastal. It's just kind of one of those crazy, crazy things. Wow, that would be incredible. It's kind of like uh, uh, everybody gets a chance, right? It's um, <laughs> give everybody a shot at Clemson. Hey, I don't put it past either Miami or Florida State to, to turn it around because, as everybody knows, the ACC is is not the NFC East this season. So, outside of Clemson, you know, there's no telling. They could, like I said, Miami, for all I know, could end up 10-2 and two, um, or 2-10, and 10, you know. And that's kind of how I feel about Manny Diaz's coaching. I just – it just seems to be – I know it's Miami. I know it's the swag and all that. It just seems to be too much about chains and rings and – Everything except for winning football games. So, take yeah, two I mean, rounds. Go ahead. 
Well, I mean, I just that just that's just kind of the uh, it just seems like the Miami thing. It's just it's kind of a, a lot of things off the field. The the Miami swag, you know, you see the the thirty for thirty, you know, all about the U. Like they're trying to relive those, you know, all about the U days. But it's they got to get the product on the field to uh, kind of back that up. Yeah, that, you know, when uh, speaking of stuff off the field or almost on the field, the Georgia Tech uh, bench curls. You know, things like that. These days, uh, things like that just kind of annoy me. But, you know, Dabo, I mean, I don't think they ever did bench curls on the sidelines and never had big fancy chains and rings and everything. But, you know, they did the walking with the arms locked down the field. And so there were some things there that, you know, he changed and were um, unconventional or unusual maybe back in the day. But once you start winning 10, 11 games a year and have two national championships, you know, you guys – you guys could do whatever they want walking down the field and uh, the fans would be happy with it. So I guess, like you said, it's a matter of what happens on the field. Cause if you think about it, when they had the turnover chain that year, they were undefeated when they played Clemson in the ACC championship game, man, that was the talk of the town. Now it's the joke of the town. Well, and was it, was it sports illustrated this off season? Like counted that as like one of the top 10 traditions in college football. <laughs> like, the turnover chain really like like i don't mind it but like a top 10 tradition in college football the turnover chain that can't there's no way there's nobody anyone outside of that author and miami fans really think that's the case and there should be nothing that's two or three years old and is a top tradition in college yeah. football yeah you know yeah. i mean tradition you know <laughs> tradition is usually longer than three years but the other bad thing about that turnover chain is now sparked all these turnover. What I saw a pencil the other day. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, a turnover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know what's going on with that. It's a turnover. Everything. We'll get back to the show in just a second, but I wanted to take a minute to tell you about our sponsor, Lion J. Lion J was founded by Jennings Lion and former tagger JKJ. Lion J is a multifaceted opportunistic real estate development firm that develops projects in the areas of multifamily, lot development for the publicly traded builders, senior housing, retail, and hospitality investments located throughout the South. Visit lionj.com. That's L-Y-O-N-J-A-Y.com with any development needs or sites that you would like to submit for development. Now, back to the show. Hey, let's look around the nation and, and check out some of the bigger games and, and bigger storylines of the week. What you got? Yeah, I mean, uh, probably example A, B, C, D, and E of preseason polls and their worth is number seven, Michigan, your favorite Wolverines. Uh, almost losing to Middle Tennessee State, almost losing, well, I don't know if it's that close, but almost losing, definitely almost losing to Army in consecutive weeks. You know, who knows what what kind of team they really are. Uh, We've seen kind of less than inspiring efforts at times from two top 10 teams in Auburn and Florida. You know, I didn't know preseason, and I still don't know now how many teams there are that can really challenge Clemson, Alabama. LSU showed some at Texas, you know, they can throw the ball. Uh, We don't know if they can defend the throw, but we know they can throw the ball. Uh, Georgia really hasn't played anybody. We know nothing about them. Ohio State's had a solid start. Uh, you know, it's really to be determined how many good teams there are. Um, and, you know, kind of my other thought is just what uh, what Hawaii's doing uh, so far. You know, they, they play so late at night. No one really, you know, you, you kind of read there. You see it on the score line. Oh, hey, they won. Hey, they won. But they're, uh, they're in position to go for the 
the triplet of wins over the Pac-12. They, they've beaten Arizona. They've beaten Oregon State. And Oregon State's kind of a funny one because they, they had a bit of a, a tiff over recruiting a, a couple years ago where, where Oregon State apparently was, like, sending a recruiting plant pamphlets and uh, invites to their spring game to active Hawaii football players. So a little bit of revenge there for the uh, Rainbow Warriors. And, uh, you know, it's going to be fun to see. I mean, they're going to play at Washington. They're, they're an underdog, a heavy underdog to Washington, actually leaving, you know, the confines of Hawaii and, and coming to the mainland. But, you know, it'll be fun to see if, if they can get that, that third win. It'll be interesting to see how Washington rebounds from last week's loss, whether they you know, give up or whether they come out and beat Hawaii by 65. Uh, so, yeah, that would be interesting to me to see what happens there. But you're right. Those West Coast games, man, the older I get, the less I care about Fresno State and San Diego State and certainly about Hawaii. There was a time where I would stay up and watch Hawaii, uh, or at least the first part of Hawaii. But now I, I don't see them until maybe bowl season. And, 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 and this game, you couldn't even – it was on, like, local cable in Hawaii. So the way you could watch it on the mainland was watching it on Facebook. Nice. Nice. Yeah, so that Facebook, uh, I think that's part of the Pac-12 network that they, uh, <laughs> they worked so hard they, on. They, 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 wish they, had that, they wish they had that kind of distribution. Everybody gives the ACC a, a hard time. Uh, about their distribution, but I remember when the Longhorn Network uh, started, I think the first year they only had one game on, uh, one Texas game on, and it was a lot of volleyball, a lot of women's basketball. You know, the same things you're going to see on the ACC Network, uh, but they only had one football game on the entire year live, and that was Texas and, you know, whoever, Louisiana Monroe or, or somebody. So, um, they didn't have the rights that early. So I think overall the ACC is probably doing a lot better than than most networks at the stage, except for the SEC network, of course, because we know how that goes. My takeaways from the weekend, I watched a good bit of LSU and Texas. And I thought both teams looked pretty good. It, it looked like a Big 12 game, it, you know, 45 to 38. Nobody could stop the other team, except LSU stopped Texas twice Uh on fourth and fourth and goals, and that was the difference in the game. Is Texas back? I don't know. They look pretty darn good, but I won't say they're back yet because I don't think they're going to win their conference. Um, but Sam Ellinger is a baller. Uh, he played at Westlake High School, which, of course, is Drew Brees and Nick Foles, along with Justin Tucker, the kicker for, well, Baltimore last time I saw it. I don't know if he's still there or not. All three of those guys went to Westlake, where Ellinger went to. He, uh, I think it was a high four-star, if I remember correctly, and he, he tore up his knee his senior year or junior year. I can't remember which one after he committed to Texas. So um, that kid just really, really uh, loves to play football, and that's Dabo. Dabo's been using the word baller lately, and that kid is a baller, man. I don't know how he does it because – I said a couple of weeks ago in a podcast, reminds me of Major Applewhite when he was at Texas. He just doesn't look like – he doesn't scare you. You know, he's not tall like Trevor. He's not He's not your prototypical quarterback. He looks like he's about 12 years old, and he goes out there and kicks butt every week, no matter – they could ask him to run the ball 40 times a game, and he'd do it. Now, they may do that once too many this season, but uh, the kid is a baller. Texas is pretty good. LSU – I think is a good team, but um, we'll see how their season shakes out. UCLA, man, 
23-14 loss to San Diego State. They are just horrific. And, uh, you know, Chip Kelly has gone from genius to moron uh, pretty, pretty darn quick. So that was an interesting one for me. And how about Coastal Carolina beating Kansas 12-7? You know, not a big deal. Kansas probably has about 60 scholarships. I don't know. Maybe they have more now. But, I mean, Les Miles went from coaching at LSU to losing to Coastal Carolina, which has got to be shocking. And I talked about whether Willie Taggart was going to make it through the end of the season. But I really wonder who's going to be first out in the SEC. Is it going to be Chad or Tennessee uh, and Jeremy Pruitt because, well, Arkansas's one-on-one with a big seven-point win over Portland State, but then losing to Ole Miss, who got mm. beat by Memphis. I mean, it's like six degrees of crap in the SEC, uh, the bottom half of the SEC. And Tennessee lost to, of course, Georgia State and BYU. So I wonder who the first one out's going to be. Um, Chad is in a world of hurt, man. I, I was looking for two wins early in the season because I don't see many in the SEC. But then again, there's some SEC with Tennessee in it and Vanderbilt. Um, uh, I don't know if they're on the schedule, but anyway, um, just wondering. Okay, Brandon, I got a hot take for you, man. I want your opinion. Clemson, North Carolina played a few weeks. Pretty sure Clemson's going to be undefeated, but I'm saying North Carolina is going to beat Wake Forest, upset Wake Forest, who's uh, I think Wake's a three-point favorite, and North Carolina is going to beat Appalachian State, and both teams will go into that showdown 5-0. and You know, I really can't wait for college game day in Chapel Hill. Hundreds, hundreds of fans just, just it's stoked out of their minds. You know, I... I think uh, I like Wake Forest. Uh, I like I like their coach. I like their quarterback. They've they've got a really good sort of solid scheme. They know what they want to do. But you, you can't deny what you've seen out of, of what Mac Brown's done in these first two weeks. So those are two Power Five wins. You know, only our, our favorite Rainbow Warriors and uh, Clemson have been able to get those two Power Five wins in these early weeks. So it, it's impressive what they've done. Uh, but yeah, going on the road, you you, you never know kind of your your personality of the team. Your your roster gets cut down. This is a big opportunity for Wake Forest. You know, Wake Forest. This is these are some of the games that they have to take care of if they're gonna kind of repeat some of the success that they've had and make a bowl game. So I can see it, but I, I think right now, like if you had to pin me down to a pick, I'd maybe go Wake Forest in that game. And then, you know, North Carolina goes into it three and one, you know, maybe they knock off out of state. But, uh, you know, it's it's going to be interesting to see what North Carolina does this season. I'm looking forward to going to Chapel Hill. I actually, of of my job so far, I've been to all of the ACC uh, stadiums, but Pittsburgh and North Carolina, because so, I wasn't on the I wasn't traveling yet with the with the newspaper I was at the time for the 2010 game. So I'm looking forward to go to Chapel Hill and kind of checking it out. I was so excited about that. I gave, my ex, I gave them both the extra win. They'd actually both be 4-0 headed into the fifth game of the season. Um, I'm kind of half-joking because um, I don't want to see Mac dance anymore. Uh, <laughs> I thought I was a bad dancer, and my kid will tell you, you are a bad dancer, Dad. Um, but he saw Mac dance and thought, man, there's somebody worse than Dad at dancing. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, 
And my Mac is beating two of the old defensive coordinators, which is kind of hilarious. So, um, and he used to be the head coach at Appalachian State, if I remember correctly. And and uh, don't think he has any ties to Wake Forest. So, you know, John McEvick was the coach at Texas. So before him, so that's a little something. All right, time to talk about Syracuse. Now I'm going to rely on you and your expertise here because I. Uh, after Syracuse's drubbing last week at the hands of Maryland, I did not watch the Maryland-Syracuse game film. Uh, but from what I've seen, even in the game they won early, it doesn't appear to be the same Syracuse team without Eric Dungy. You know, you know, it's it's kind of funny. We were looking at maybe preseason, maybe maybe college game day at the game, you know, at Syracuse Clemson, uh, there's a lot of buzz out of the door with this Maryland blowout. You know, it's still kind of an intriguing game because of the past two meetings. You know, Syracuse's path to victory, and Dabo kind of joked about it on Tuesday, was they knocked out the starting quarterback in the first half in both games. Like, it's it's just one of those weird kind of things. And, and the year before that, uh, Dungey got knocked out at Clemson, and, you know, I don't know how much that really affected the outcome on that game, but still... You know, it's you know they've had this kind of path to victory, but it hasn't been just the quarterback getting knocked out. They they haven't made many mistakes. They've only had one turnover in each game. They've used tempo effectively, especially in the 2017 game. Clemson just didn't look ready for that tempo. They just a lot of times the the defense wasn't set when they were snapping the ball. And Clemson, and something that Dabo talked about, and some of the other uh, coordinators talked about this week is that that Syracuse just they just out. I don't know if they just outwilled them. They just Syracuse played better and they had a better mentality in some of those games. Um, you know, in the last year's game, Clemson had three turnovers. Syracuse was able to score ten points off those. Uh, I think there was a couple. There was a couple of muffed punts. You know, one going into the fourth quarter where Syracuse was able to get a two-score lead and Chase Price was able to pull them out of it. You know, this year's team, you know, they go from a shutout versus Liberty to giving up sixty-three points. To Maryland, 354 rushing yards. Uh, Tommy DeVito taking over for uh, Dungy. He did. He did end up passing for over 300 yards last week. He really struggled the week before versus Liberty. Uh, they really haven't been able to get off the ground running the ball. They have a. There's one of their starting center going into the season's doubtful for Saturday, and that'd be a second straight game. And obviously, it didn't work out for them versus Maryland, missing him in that game. So it's that's three new starters in the O line going against a Clemson defense that is, you know, obviously shuffling their shuffling their defensive line too. But uh, the numbers are just ugly for Syracuse when you look at them. They're triple digits in penalties per game, 97th in rushing defense, 103rd in passing defense, 102nd in scoring defense, 105th in third down defense, 107th in red zone offense, and Devito's 94th in passing efficiency. 85th in yards per pass attempt, and 101st in ESPN's QBR rating. So the numbers are just ugly. Uh, they just got to hope that a packed house, you know, they're, they're thinking that they're hoping there'll be kind of a sellout crowd. They got to hope that kind of energizes them. Maybe they can get a good punch in or two early, which is they've been able to do in the last few games, and then kind of sustain that energy and make it a game into the fourth quarter. Wow. Um... I don't even know where to start with the numbers. A lot of things in the hundreds. <laughs> and it's hard to believe that a team, I know it was Liberty in Maryland, you know, a, a FCS school and a Big Ten school, if you want to call Maryland that. But 
it's hard to believe that you can shut somebody out one week and give up 63 points the next. So, and turn around, look at the schedule, and it says Clemson. What do you have you been? I, I don't recall. Have you been to the Carrier Dome? Have you been? Yeah, I, I've been. I was I was there for the uh, 2013 game and the 2015 game. So, I, if, if anything, uh, you know, the Tiger faithful can can blame whatever media outlet for not sending me in 2017. You know, so, but uh, yeah, yeah, I've been there for. T- been there for two games. Uh, you know, it's you know the Syracuse fans show up for it. You know, obviously it's it's one of the bigger uh, games on the season. You know, on the home schedule. Yeah, uh, this year they're making it a, a homecoming game, so it's you're bringing in all the all the alumni. They're they're doing every. They put up basically put out all the stops to kind of bring everybody in. So it can be kind of a a, a loud atmosphere. Uh, obviously, it's ever played. People joke about it all the time. The whole place where it's it's warmer because there's no air conditioning. Obviously, that's that's not a big deal for a team that just played in 90 degree heat back home. But it's uh, you know it's it'll be it'll be allowed at least for that first quarter. You know, it, before you know maybe Clemson puts a few scores on the board, it'll be kind of loud. Maybe not the heat, but just it's this artificial turf. It's a different environment. It's you know sure it's going to be loud, but maybe a different loud than you would hear in Death Valley. I don't. I, I don't um, – all the only thing I can kind of compare it to is, is games that I've been at at the Astrodome that were just kind of weird, just kind of a weird sound and a weird vibe, you know, um, being, quote, inside. So it'll be interesting to see what happens and after what happened a couple of years ago. I kind of – I kind of throw that game out a couple of years ago, but today it was apparent that Zarek Cooper was not ready to play that day for whatever reason. Um, you know, I, I don't know what happened, but he was not ready to play. I think he, he completed a few passes, but Hunter Renfro uh, was diving all over the place to, to make those receptions. So he wasn't ready to play. And, and Clemson, I don't think, was the same team as they are today, depth-wise. All right, it's time to make our prediction. Latest we have, Brandon, uh, just checked it out on Vegas Insider. Clemson is a 27.5-point favorite. Over under is 61. I'll go first because I'll keep it short. I'm going to say Clemson covers that. And it will hit the over 47-17 Tigers. What say you? You know, I kind of hinted in the uh, TigerNet weekly grades that we do on Sundays that I thought this could be kind of the game where the Clemson offense puts it all together. could be similar to that 2013 game I was at with uh, Taj Boyd and all them throwing it all over the yard and, I just uh, Syracuse will probably have a little better defensive strategy than Scott Schaefer in that game. Uh, they they kind of let guys run wild on the boundary, but uh, I'm going 45-13. I, I think that Clemson covers, but maybe it's a little bit under that number. Maybe I'm just a little gun shy from from last week. I, I think I was way 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 over the number on my prediction, but uh, I, I think uh, you know, I think it'll be maybe a little lower scoring, maybe a little more defense featured, but Clemson is in control from start to finish. And I think we'll probably see a lot of that in the next 10 games. All right, folks, he's at Brandon Rink on Twitter. Check his workout on TigerNet. If you like numbers, analytics, that type of stuff, Brandon is your guy. He uh, delves into the numbers, snap counts, analytics, as he mentioned. He gave you all the numbers on Syracuse earlier. Brandon, thank you for your time, and we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. All right, see you then.